Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 122. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 today. We're going to talk about shepherding like Jesus, and we're going to talk about receiving the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Lord, we need wisdom and direction. We always need wisdom. Wisdom comes from on high. And so I pray, God, that you would give it today. I thank you that you give wisdom bountifully and that you promise to give it. And I trust that today, as I'm talking about this passage, that you'll help me to point these men in a direction that would be helpful. And it would honor you, ultimately. I trust, God, that you're going to do that. Lead the way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get going, I want to tell you again about the cohort. I've been seeing more and more people sign up for the cohort, and I'm very excited about that. What we're going to be doing, the last Saturday of every month, so the first one is the 30th of this month, we're going to be gathering on Zoom call or at my house. We're going to be working our way through six modern enemies that we have to have courage to stand against. And the first one is going to be theological liberalism. We're going to start there because really everything flows from that. So we want to really look into every nook and cranny in our life and ask the question, is there anything that we're ashamed or embarrassed of about God's Word? And then we want to settle that and move on and we can start talking about other things. But we've got to settle that first. Uh, we got to be clear that the Bible is sufficient and authoritative over our life and over the church, and then we can move on. So the cohort, you can still sign up. Go to the website and just follow the link in the show notes. You can sign up. It's 125 bucks. i got a bunch of friends that are helping me out. You can see all of them on the website, except Eric Kahn. i got to add him on the, on the site. But uh, it's going to be really great. We want you to be there, so sign up. All right, 1 Peter 5. And we're going to look at Jesus as the lion and the lamb today. And the reason we're going to look at his pastoral ministry is because Peter calls him the chief chief shepherd. And I think it's really important. Look at verse 4. Listen to verse 4 in 1 Peter 5. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we're going to break this up into two parts. I was going to do this in two different podcasts, but we're just going to tackle it all in one show today. So when the chief shepherd appears, the first thing we got to consider is that Jesus really is the chief shepherd. Um, that's one of the reasons I started this thing, is I wanted other pastors to come around and look at the chief shepherd and pastor like him. What does Jesus shepherd like? What does he do? And then, by the grace of God, we want to become Christ-like in our pastoral ministry. If you consider these two images, the lion and the lamb, Jesus is both the lion and he is the lamb, lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is the lamb slain for sinners. We get these two pictures of what pastoral ministry is, and often people have a gravitas to one of these two types of ministry. They're either all lion or like 90% lion or all lamb or like 90% lamb. And what I want you to consider today is what are the areas in your life, as we look at the Gospel of John, what are the areas in your life that you are lacking in pastoral ministry or that you are weak, then I want you to grow to being a more Christ-like pastor. Now, as we consider these images, we have to remember that Jesus would not have been disqualified in the New Testament, in perpetuity, like he wouldn't be disqualified today from 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1 ministry. He would be a qualified pastor, okay? We have to nail that down. We have to settle that because when we look at Jesus as the lion, we're going to be tempted to think, as many, many modern people are today, well, that sounds mean, that's not nice, that's quarrelsome. And Jesus was not quarrelsome, yet he knew how to, with a laser focus, go to battle and to quarrel. He could quarrel without being quarrelsome. And that's what we have to do. So consider several passages as Jesus the Lion. I've done some on this on an episode before. As I said a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, it's good to reflect. So Jesus is a lion. John chapter 6, we see that he fed 5,000 people. 
And as he left the 5,000 and goes across the sea, the next morning, this massive crowd looks around and wonders, where's Jesus? And they go and travel land and sea to find Jesus. And they find him. And Jesus then begins to give them a correcting word about why they came seeking after Jesus. Because all seeking after Jesus isn't right, true seeking. We know that nobody, through the seeking of their own, can come to Jesus. And Jesus corrects this, and he said, hey, you're just here because you want your fill. You want the stuff. You're not here for me. And then he begins to get, bring more and more corrective word. He said, hey, if, you're not, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't have your share with me. And everybody's looking around at each other like, what in the world are you talking about? And one by one, ten by ten, hundreds by hundreds, thousands by thousands, they began to leave when Jesus started talking. When he gave a corrective word, the crowd goes all the way down from 6,000 to 12. And then, even when the 12 are there, he looks at them and he says, Hey, you guys want to go as well? Because he started telling them things like, You cannot come to me unless the Father who sent me draws you. You can't come to me. You don't have the power within you to come to me. And the highly offensive things in every generation, not just in 1st century, in 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th, I mean, all the way up to the 21st century, so offensive to tell a human being, you can't come to God. Seriously? And so everybody leaves. Jesus does not have an issue with preaching and 6,000 people walking away. And he loved every one of those 6,000 people, but he had a higher purpose, which was to glorify and honor his heavenly Father. And so the 12 said, no, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Okay, so Jesus is shown to be a lion. What about in John chapter 8? John chapter 8, he turns to a group of people who believe in him. The text literally says, who believe in him. And he begins to address them. And he tells them, these Jewish people, that they're sons of the devil. Now, these are people that were told, believe in him. This should be a win. You would think, oh, great, then corral them in, begin to disciple them. Uh, they're going to start walking with the 72. They're going to be amongst the, the brothers. Jesus says they're sons of the devil. Well, what's he doing? By the end of the chapter, the very same people who were told believed in him, get this, picked up stones to kill him. You can read it yourself. <clears throat> it's John chapter 8, starting in verse 31, in through the, down through the rest of the chapter. They pick up stones to kill him because he was calling him sons of the devil. And that's to people who believed in him. Jesus is on the offense with his agenda. Now, I said we're going to be in John, but we're going to actually look at a couple other passages too. Luke 11 and Matthew 20, 23 are often put as parallel passages. I don't know if it's the same event or not, but for the sake of, for the sake of this discussion, we'll just lump it all together. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's very strong with them, like he is in Matthew 23. He gives them some woes. Woe to you, Pharisees. He calls them out for loving the best seats in the synagogues and for greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. People walk over them without knowing it. And then, get this. This Again, this is Jesus on the offense. This is Jesus knowing how to quarrel without being quarrelsome. One of the lawyers asked him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Now notice, Jesus didn't say, oh guys, hey listen, I'm speaking specifically to the Pharisees here. If you're taking offense, I'm very sorry, that's not what I'm intending. Listen, let me clarify, let me caveat, let me nuance this so it's a little bit more helpful for you to understand what I'm talking about. No, 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 he didn't do any of that. This is Jesus the Lion. This didn't play well with Gospel Coalition. This doesn't play well with Big Eva at all. This is not the ERLC kind of stuff, okay? Here's what he says. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, 
<laughs> For you low down people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves don't touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. This is Jesus the lion. Now, pastor, if these make you uncomfortable and you think, well, that's just Jesus, okay? Well, Peter tells us that he's the chief shepherd. We need to be taking our shepherding cues from him. We could go and talk about many more passages like this, about Jesus being on the offense, not sitting on his hands, not being nuanced, not being winsome or any of that kind of stuff. Certainly he is cunning, but he is the lion. And pastor, some of your inner lion needs to come out right now. And it's long overdue. There are many pastors who still don't know the signs and what's happening right now. I'm not talking about end times kind of stuff, but they don't see what's happening. They can't read what's going on in society and culture. And they're just kind of patting their people on the back, saying that they're loving them, saying they're giving them the gospel, but they're not giving them the tools to stand up to tyranny and to fight. They're not giving them the tools to stand up to Big Eva who are ridiculing and mocking them. They're not giving them the tools to be lion-like like their master. So some of you, some of you today have to become like Jesus and start pastoring like your chief shepherd today, right now. Now, Jesus is also the lamb. Consider John chapter 11. One instance that I think is so powerful is that he speaks and brings comfort to Mary and Martha in different ways. To one of these grieving sisters, after their brother had died, to one of these grieving sisters, Jesus cries and to the other he speaks. He speaks words of counsel and wisdom. He speaks of resurrection and he tells her, I am the resurrection life. And so he doesn't bring one comfort for everybody. He knows how to bring comfort to his people in the way that they need to be comforted. This is Jesus, the great counselor. This is Jesus knowing when to weep and when to speak. Then if you think of the passion, Jesus knew when to be silent and he knew when to bark. And pastors, we need to know when to be silent to see the purposes of God happen through us. And there's times to speak, there's times to fight, there's times for the inner lion to come out, and then there's time to be silent and let yourself be smacked around a little bit. There's a time to be quiet and watch everything burn to see the purposes of God happen through you. The Holy Spirit's going to have to lead you in that. So pastor, if you're all lion and you're all fight and you're always taking the hill and you're always asking everybody to come with you, you, you need to find somebody to weep with. And you need to know how to bring comfort to the people like Jesus did. Jesus was both the lion and the lamb. And as we pastor, like our chief shepherd, like the chief pastor Jesus, like our lead pastor, like the lead pastor of our church, as we follow his lead, Listen to the promise that we get in this passage, and you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Brothers, most of us, most of us, myself included, are going to keep pastoring. We're not going to get accolades. We're not in it for that. We don't care. We're not going to get brownie points with the world. The world's going to hate us, and if the world doesn't hate us, we're doing something wrong. I want to encourage you with a book written by Don Carson about his father, Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. And I want to encourage you with the end of this book, and I just want you to hang with me, and I can't hardly get through this without weeping, because I consider Don Carson's father, who pastored churches of 15 and 20 and 25 throughout Canada for like 30 or 40 years, and his son has amazing things to say about his dad. And if my sons had anything like this to say about me, I would be thrilled. Listen to what Don Carson has to say about his father. One more small tragedy was about to unfold. On Dad's last day, October the 26th, 1992, Joyce had briefly left owing to other responsibilities and was about to return. For some time now, Dad had been slipping in and, out, in and out of consciousness. By that afternoon, he was in a coma. That Monday was a critical election day in Quebec, and Jim, ever his father's son, knew to put duty first and drive home to Montreal to vote, expecting to return the next day. Besides, I was there to hold vigil. About 11 p.m., I checked with the nurse and staff, and they said he was stable. 
I had crossed too many time zones, so I decided to go to Dad's house where I was staying and have a shower and get some clean clothes. Snooze, I've always been able to be refreshed by a 15-minute power nap and come back. I drove to Dad's home less than five minutes away by car, walked to the door, and the phone rang. It was the hospital. There had been a change. I had raced back to the hospital. Dad was gone, and he had died alone. Tom Carson never rose very far in denominational structures. But hundreds of people in the Ottawa's and beyond testify how much he loved them. He never wrote a book, but he loved the book. He was never wealthy or powerful, but he kept growing as a Christian. Yesterday's grace, it was never enough. He was not a far-sighted visionary, but he looked forward to eternity. He was not a gifted administrator, but there is no text that says, By this all men shall know you are my disciples if you are good administrators. His journals had many, many entries bathed in tears of contrition. But his children and great-grandchildren remember his laughter. Only rarely did he break this pattern of reserve and speak deeply and intimately with his children, but he modeled Christian virtues. He much preferred to avoid controversy than stir things up, but his own commitments to historic confessionalism were unyielding, and in his ethics he was a man of principle. His own ecclesiastical circles were rather small and narrow, but his reading was correspondingly large and expansive. He was not very good at putting people down, except on his prayer list. When he died, there were no crowds on the outside of the hospital. No editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on television, no mention in Parliament, no attention paid by the nation. In this hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. There was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting, because he had stopped breathing and would never see it again. Brothers, here it is. But on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. Dad won entrance into the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or a great man. He was, after all, a most ordinary pastor. But because he was a forgiven man. And he heard the voice of him who he longed to hear saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Brothers, that's where it's at. In this season, you're going to be tempted to compromise. You're going to be tempted to hold back. I want to challenge you. Do not cower in fear to the world. Do not cower in fear to Big Eva. Never be ashamed of God's word. Do not let your kids and grandkids say about you, my dad cowered in fear. My dad capitulated to the world. My dad lived his life into oblivion out of fear. Stand up, grow a backbone, and shepherd that ordinary flock. Love them well and serve them well. And one day, like the Apostle Peter says, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Friends, there's nothing better than that. There's some good news to chew on for the rest of the week. Do not be afraid. Do the work of ministry and shepherd like Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.